This podcast is brought to you by Bet Rivers. Download the Bet Rivers app from the App Store or Google Play Store. Must be 21. Available in Ohio only. Void where prohibited. Terms and conditions apply. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 Gambler. Sports gaming is provided in partnership with Dayton Real Estate Ventures, LLC, DBA, Hollywood Gaming at Dayton Raceway. If you're a tennis fan, you'll love betting weekly game bet match on the Bet Rivers Network. Whether you're a better or just love tennis, you'll enjoy the in depth analysis each week of the tennis calendar. Subscribe to Game Bet Match today from your favorite podcast provider. It's the Mike Francesa Podcast on the Bet Rivers Network. This is not a regular player, this is not a pretty good quarterback. This is an all time great. Is he? A strange bird off the field? He's a little nuts, I think. Okay? That's his deal. Is he really weird? Yeah. You don't have to hang out with him. You just have to put on your Jet jersey, go to the stadium, and watch him do his thing, which is move the Jets down the field and into the end zone, which is something you have not had in years. Subscribe to the Mike Francesa podcast on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. It's the Mike Missanelli Podcast on the Bet Rivers Network. Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome to the Mike Missanelli Podcast. This is podcast number seven. We're doing this on Friday, October 7th, and this is, of course, the day of game one of the National League Wild Card Series. The Phillies are in St. Louis today. So a very uh, unusual podcast. Uh, it's First of all, it, the Phillies are the lead story on the Mike Misnelli podcast brought to us by Bet Rivers for the first time since we've been doing the podcast. Uh, and they are uh, in a big series in St. Louis, a kind of a revenge series, as we can all remember what happened uh, the last time they were in the playoffs in 2011. We're going to go over that in a little bit because we need to – to purge the de- demons of that. But so here they are now creating a new season, getting into playoffs. They clinched it this week. Everybody's happy about it. So what are their chances in this particular series? Let's just take a quick look at the series. And now the consensus is the Phillies are going to have to win this series in the first two games with their first two starters. They've got the edge in starting pitching here with Zach Wheeler and Aaron Nola. If it gets to a game three, it could be iffy. Uh, but uh, they look pretty good right now throwing Wheeler and Nola at the Cardinals. For a little perspective, the Cardinals are a lethal team at home. They are 53-28 and 28 at Bush Stadium with a 3.31 collective ERA. That's pretty good. Now we're going to check in uh, from Bush Stadium in a little bit with a man who covers the Phillies for the Philadelphia Inquirer. Scott Lauber is going to join us. Uh, but in the meantime, let's uh, look at some other numbers. Of course, when we look at the Cardinals, not a great offensive team and a team that could like to get you in the late innings where they can put you away with their bullpen, where they've got three bulls coming out of there that can throw about 100 miles an hour. And they all are used in high leverage situations. Helsley's the closer, uh, but uh, they just activated a guy, Wells, who throws 100. Uh, so they're going to be tough. The Phillies have to get ahead early and hope their starting pitching can carry them in the first two games. And then they can win the series. The Cardinals do have some thunder in the middle of the lineup. We all know about uh, Paul Goldschmidt, Nolan uh, Arenado, and all of a sudden Albert Pujols 
has come out of nowhere to be a productive middle-of-the-order hitter. But let's look at the numbers for Goldschmidt against Wheeler. Goldschmidt hits 217 against Wheeler lifetime and 150 against Nola. So uh, that's a, a major advantage for the Phillies. Arnado seems to hit Wheeler okay, but he doesn't hit Nola very well. So if they can neutralize that middle of the order, uh, I don't know how many, maybe the Phillies can win it with a minimal round of runs scored and they're starting pitching lasting at least through seven and hopefully through eight uh, with, with Wheeler and, and Nola. Uh, so here, here's the situation. Um, they're throwing a left-hander today, and we'll talk about Quintana throwing against the Phillies today. They've got Matt Veerling in the lineup in center field. Uh, and so I, I assume that Quintana is uh, starting this game to neutralize Schwarber and Harper. So it's imperative that Hoskins, JT, and Castellanos show a little power, at least in this first game. Uh, the, the other really interesting situation to me is who closes for the Phillies now? Who do they use in high-leverage situations late in the game? Robertson and Dominguez have wilted a little bit. They used the Eflin to close out the clinching game. Will they trust Eflin to close out in this series? Will he be the closer? And if so, can can you look at Eflin as a guy that you can go back-to-back and maybe even back-to-back-to-back with three straight games to close out games? Well, I, I'm not so sure about that. So um, – All of it is interesting as baseball is back in the fall, and that's the important thing. But as I say, uh, to look ahead and the hope that the Phillies can survive this series and get to the next series and survive that, playoff success is a comment that we revisit the past and bury it. So let's try to do that and revisit the past. Let's go back to 2011. And in 2011, uh, interestingly enough, uh, as a full-time radio talk show host back then, I was also a featured Sunday sports columnist for the Philadelphia Inquirer. And uh, I was in Penn State University that evening. It was a Saturday night. And uh, I had to be up there for a Sunday affair uh, in, in State College for a speaking engagement. So I was watching the game from a hotel room, a tiny hotel room, by the way, in State College, PA. And I had to file my column following that game. Well, what poured out of me was one of, um, I, I thought it was one of my better columns, but it was a reflection of my total dismay and disappointment. And uh, so the way I started the, the, the column was this. <clears throat> For Philadelphia sports fans, the disappointments are like acid drips. Drip, 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 slowly eating away at their insides and altering the DNA of future Philadelphia sports generations. It is the DNA of doom. We thought we had that uh, reverse courtesy of a Phillies team that had forged an era of winning and had turned the city into the home of the baseball elite. Instead, with the Phillies losing in five games in St. Louis Cardinals and National League Division Series, we must now deal with arguably the most disappointing loss in Philadelphia history. Yes, I did write that. And uh, I, I referred to the previous disappointments, uh, and, and you can you can tick them off the previous disappointments, obviously. Uh, the the uh, Joe Carter home run, the uh, Tampa Bay Buccaneers, a uh, shocking Donovan McNabb and the Eagles on that frigid final night at Veterans Stadium. You can get that in the list of all of them. This one, for me, stuck out most because this team was the best team they had produced in that era, 
And they wound up limping away from that against an inferior St. Louis team who then had to play Milwaukee. Neither of those teams were in the Phillies class that year. And uh, the sight of Ryan Howard tearing his Achilles tendon was just uh, uh, like that encapsulized the whole disappointment that everybody felt. It was almost hard to believe. It was, it was so disappointing. It was surreal. So um, what that did, what it, it triggered a really bad era of Philadelphia Phillies baseball. So let's reflect on that because, again, see what I'm trying to do right now in this podcast is bury the past. And so do we remember some of the things that happened? We, we, we can hardly remember. It's like a blur. After they lost in 2011, here's what happened to the Phillies. They wound up in the next 11 years using 113 position players. And that's not counting Vince Velasquez, who, if you recall, was a substitute outfielder in a game and actually made a key throw to throw somebody out at the plate. They used, get this, 163 pitchers in that 11-year span, and that includes Roman Quinn, who gave up seven runs in an inning, and Scott Kingery, the golden boy, who had just been signed to this monster contract because they thought he was going to be somebody. He actually had the pitch. Uh, you remember Dylan Cousins? Oh, I, I remember him. I, I remember in the minor leagues, the Phillies brass was uh, was talking about how they had these two power hitters uh, in the minor leagues. Uh, one of them was Reese Hoskins, and the other was Dylan Cousins. Uh, Dylan Cousins didn't quite make it. Uh, in fact, uh, he was such a flop that he gave up baseball, and he actually tried to become a tight end or a defensive end in the NFL and got a tryout with the Patriots, and never was signed. Um, interestingly enough, Hoskins did make it. Hoskins' first game, he hit between, get this, Tommy Joseph and Cameron Rupp. So in that Phillies order, that game he broke in, it was Tommy Joseph hitting six, Hoskins seven, Rupp hit eight. I, I don't even know if I can get through this. All right, let, let's continue. Carlos Santana. They grabbed him as a free agent, gave him $20 million, and thought they could play him at third base. Um, that wasn't working out very well. But Carlos Santana also turned on his teammates. He was so disgusted by the lack of fight with that Philly group that he was playing with that after a game once, he came in and smashed every TV in a clubhouse with a bat. This is the stuff that was going on in those 11 years. Uh, 106 players in the last 10 years never appeared again in a big league game after they played with the Phillies in that era. 106 players did not survive the major leagues after their Philly experience. All right, there was a guy named Sean O'Sullivan. He was a pitcher. Uh, relief pitcher. He was hit in the throat, I believe, by Cameron Rupp. Cameron Rupp throwing the baseball back to the pitcher. O'Sullivan wasn't paying attention. The ball hit him in the throat. Remember David Buchanan, the skinny little right-handed pitcher? He allowed 11 runs in one inning. The managers kept him out to die on the mound. Remember Ty Wigginton and Casper Wells? Yeah, these guys were actually 
pretending to be major league players wearing a Phillies uniform. And let's not forget the young core. The young core that they were telling us that they had produced in their farm system. Michael Franco, who didn't know a lick about playing baseball. He's still in the league, but by the grace of God. Uh, and Cesar Hernandez. And then they made the trade for Cole Hamels to restock the shelves. We remember they traded Cole Hamels to the Texas Rangers. They got in that deal Jorge Alfaro, Jared Eikhoff. I swear to God, I'm 100 years old, and I I would climb in against Jared Eikhoff right now. Uh, Jake Thompson was another right-handed pitcher. And then they got Nick Williams. Everybody said, oh, Nick Williams, he needs to change his scenery. Uh, That's who they got. Those players (laughs) really didn't work here. (laughs) So, (laughs) In other words, Mike, they got Ugats. That's there. Yeah, you're right, Ugats. I'm going over I can't believe it. But I need to do this to purge. This is like I'm putting those 11 years of the Phillies into the fire. Um, Bullpen, I'll quit with the bullpen names. Remember they told you that they were okay with Genmar Gomez as a closer? Yeah, Genmar Gomez, Luis Garcia, who was a barber in Brooklyn that they had signed. Uh, then there was Hobie Milner, uh, and they, Jake Diekman actually was okay. And then there was Ken Giles. Ken Giles uh, threw hard, and he had this arrogance about him, and once refused to walk a guy that they get, they put the four up in the dugout. He refused to walk the guy. Uh, then there was Adam Morgan. Oh, how can we forget Adam Morgan, the left hand? He got raped every time he came in the gate. And yell De Los Santos and Victor Arano. I got to quit there because it's making me nuts. All right, so there you go. I tried to purge the ghost of Philly's past, a decade plus one of mediocre players and, and observations uh, on that whole thing. Uh, yes. So there you go. That's why the Phillies have to win this series. They have to purge what happened in 2011, which cursed them for 11 straight years. It's the Mike Missanelli podcast on the Bet Rivers Network. Well, it's not often that you get live action on a podcast, but we got that today. And we're going to go live to Bush Stadium. The man who covers the Phillies for the Philadelphia Inquirer covers baseball uh, uh, in, in Toto, and he's joined it from beautiful St. Louis, Missouri, and uh, Scott Lauber joins us. Hello, Scott. Set the scene for us out there in baseball heaven, which is what <laughs> Scott Rowland called it out there. Yeah, right. Baseball heaven. Everyone loves St. Louis. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's it's really nice out. It's beautiful. It's uh, The sun's out. We get a day game for game one. How often do you get a chance to play a day game anymore in the playoffs? So, yeah, it's uh, it's a good day for uh, to get things started here for the Phillies. 11 years to the day of their last postseason game, which is just blows my mind that it's 11 years exactly to the day of game five in 2011. Uh, that is p- pretty interesting. And it, it blows people's mind here in Philadelphia to think about 2011 and how that ended. We talked about that uh, a little earlier. Uh, so so let's look at this series. It just a lot of storylines, especially that one, because the Cardinals did eliminate them. And it was probably the Phillies' best team in that area in 2011. So here they get another chance at them. Um, and, and it's you know, the consensus is that the Phillies are going to have to win this with their with their number one and number two starting pitchers, and they might be in trouble beyond that. How do you see it? Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I mean, look, uh, they they wanted this scenario from the beginning. They wanted 
to get to the postseason with Wheeler in game one and Nola in game two. And they felt like they could do that if they could get to this day with those two guys lined up for one and two, that they stand as good a chance against any team as anybody because they that's how much confidence they have in those guys. And that's how good they think those guys are. And, um, you know, they, they've said that all along. And so that that's what's happened here. They clinched a game 160. They were able to line up their pitching perfectly. You know, this was dicey here for a while, not just because of how they played down the stretch, which wasn't good. But, you know, I think back to last weekend in Washington, it rained three days and are unsure if they were going to play all, all four games. If Wheeler couldn't pitch last Sunday, you know, if they, that game had gotten rained out, then, um, you know, then it was going to be a scenario where he couldn't go for game one. So it was really a uh, uh, the, the perfect situation where they got what they wanted. Uh, they've got it lined up just right, and and this is what they think represents their best chance to ride their their two horses in game one and two of a best of three. Yeah, and and of course the the um, the, the attachment to that is the reason why they, they should get be able to get ahead because they don't want to chase down the, the Cardinals and 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 try to beat that strong bullpen that they have. So the ideal situation is that they get ahead and uh, Wheeler and Nola carries them uh, maybe through eight. Yeah, right. Get ahead and get length out of those two guys. And 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 I should say that that's, that's the, the second component of this is that, so, okay, you've got your horses on the mound for game one and two, but especially today with Wheeler for game one, you got to wonder how far can he go because it will be his fourth start uh, since coming back from the injured list uh, after missing five starts. That last start on Sunday in Washington, he went five innings, 77 pitches. And Rob Thompson, I asked him yesterday, he said, look, if they had their perfect scenario – he would have gone another inning uh, last Sunday, but wet mound, raining on the mound, big lead. They figured better safe than sorry. Let's take him out. So Wheeler hasn't pitched in the seventh inning of a game since I believe it's August 3rd. So you wonder, can he give them seven? He said yesterday, I've gone six. What's one more? You know, Wheeler's pretty laid back. He's pretty confident in himself. So he doesn't think this is a big deal, but we haven't seen Zach Wheeler go deep into a game in quite some time, two months. And we'll see if he can do that for them today. Talking to Scott Lauber covers the uh, Phillies and baseball for the Philadelphia Inquirer. Uh, Scott, what 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 are the Cardinals? Uh, I mean, they they seem to have a nice block in the middle of that lineup because Pujols has, has come back to life, uh, and they're a team that has a really good home record, and they're just like kind of every Cardinal team. They're fundamental. They don't make mistakes. They 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 defend. What are the Phillies facing here in this series against this team? Yeah, I mean, like quintessential Cardinals. Like I said, I mean, you know, I've spent most of my life underestimating the St. Louis Cardinals, and the St. Louis Cardinals always end up in the postseason somehow. And, and you know, you say, well, they did it again. And you're right. Like, it's the middle of that order. You have two MVP candidates in Goldschmidt and Arenado. You have the fact uh, in, uh, you know, that, that Albert Pujols has found. It's funny. The Phillies played them twice in the span of about, you know, in two series in the span of about, 10 or 11 days in the middle of summer, uh, right around July 4th. They played them in Philly, and then they came to Houston, uh, to, uh, to St. Louis. And, um, you know, the Cardinals are a little bit different now than they were then. Uh, the similarities are that they they catch the ball. They play really good defense. And they help their pitching in that way. But they've added Jose Quintana, who's going to be their game one. He's a lefty. He's pitched really well since coming over because that's what guys do, right? They get traded to St. Louis, and they pitch great. Uh, Jordan Montgomery wasn't here when the Phillies were here. I don't know yet if he's going to pitch game three, but he came over from the Yankees um, in a deadline trade. Pujols wasn't doing this back in July. Um, he was really not much of a factor in those two series. 
So, yeah, it's a little bit of a different Cardinal team than the Phillies saw then. But I think that the 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 the, the idea is the same. You know, they they they're deep. Uh, they don't have an ace per se. Like you know, you don't really love on paper Quintana against Wheeler if you're a Cardinal fan. But you know, they have four or five guys who are really good middle of the rotation starters. Any one of whom could have started Game One. And I suspect they'll all be in play at some point in the series, whether they're coming out of the bullpen or not. So um, they're just a really well-rounded team and a, a team that's got, you know, some star power in the middle. And you'd like to think if you control Goldschmidt, Arenado, and to a certain degree, Pujols, you're going to win the series. I don't know if it's going to be that simple, but certainly it starts with that. Well, uh, the numbers would say that it, it does favor the Phillies there. Goldschmidt, 217 hitter against Wheeler, 150 against Nola. Arenado does hit uh, Wheeler, but uh, uh, does not hit Nola. So, uh, you know, that's that's a really interesting uh, advantage, I think, for the Phillies here, no? Yeah, without a doubt. And you know who – here's somebody to watch in this series. It's Zach Eflin. Zach Eflin's numbers against Goldschmidt and Arenado are great. Uh, I don't think either one has a home run against him. One, I think Goldschmidt's two for 12, and um, Arenado doesn't have real good numbers either. You know, and it's been trending this way that Zach Eflin's going to be a piece at the back of the bullpen somewhere, whether it's closing, whether it's setting up, pitching the seventh, pitching the eighth, wherever the, the middle of that order is coming up. And I would suspect that we'll see uh, a lot of Eflin against those those two guys, just given the history and given the way he's pitching and all of those things seem to be lining up to put them on a, a collision course. Eflin is a, is a great story. I'm glad you, you led me into that because uh, – you know, you got a situation where the, the back end has faltered a little bit. Dominguez and Robertson have faltered a little bit. He comes in, he closes that last gate. Is it possible that they will trust him to be their closer in this series, or will they play it inning by inning and matchup by matchup? I mean, you know, they don't have a closer, so he's going to match up. Uh, Thompson is. He's going to match up based on things. But, yeah, I think certainly if he, if he expects that you're going to get Goldschmidt and Arenado in the ninth, I think he's going to hold Eflin for the ninth, you know, if, if it sets up that way. So, you know, I do think that he's going to be the guy to get those two guys out late in games. Um, you know, you mentioned Robertson. He hasn't thrown a whole lot of strikes. He's gotten away with a lot of things, but he's walking a lot of guys. Dominguez has not been the same since he came off the injured list. I had a long conversation with him about it a few weeks ago, and he thinks it's mechanical. There's something in his delivery that they're trying to work out. I wonder whether there's some confidence uh, at play right now as well, like, He's just not as dominant as he was prior to the injury. And, you know, maybe it's in his head a little bit. Like, you know, can I go out there and get three big outs in the ninth inning? So I think you're going to see Eflin. You're going to see Alvarado, who's been great. Um, and, you know, I, you probably will see some mixture of, of those guys. Um, but I think, you know, if the, if the spot is the, you know, if the highest leverage spot, I think you'd have to think Alvarado in, in at this point. Um, can Eflin pitch three straight games in high leverage situations? As we don't know. We don't know. We have no idea. Can he go back to back in high leverage situations? I mean, he is a starting pitcher, you know, and uh, a starting pitcher who is coming off a, a, another knee injury. And so naturally, when they brought him back in the middle of September, they were going to do this very carefully to the point where they weren't going to bring him into games with anyone on base. And I'd have to look back. I don't know for sure if he's done that yet. So um, there are conditions with Eflin and, and you would think that that's going to be that's going to be a factor here. 
let's fast forward here because we're obviously we're talking to you uh, on a Friday, October 7th, and it's game one in St. Louis. We don't know what's going to happen, and we don't know the next time I come on uh, my podcast uh, on Tuesday what, what has happened. So let's take a couple scenarios. Either they advance and, and they delight their fan base here and face a really tough second-round matchup, or they lose this series in, this says say, three games or whatever it is. Uh, which means you're going to have to look forward to what this team will be and what they will have needed to move in the next year to advance into that upper echelon. So what if they lose this series, if we're talking about a loss on Tuesday, what do they look like next year? Where do you think they will focus? Well, I mean, they're going to have to do work on their bullpen again because it seems like that's an every every offseason thing. I mean, they spent, what, a total of a million dollars on Knable, Hand and Familia. Familia is gone. Canable's hurt and out for the year. And Hand is just coming back here for game one. And we'll see what he can give them in the postseason. So that was their three big reliever additions. And as we sit here for game one, we're talking about, you know, their high leverage guys being Jose Alvarado, who was the, the lefty you couldn't count on for the longest time. Zach Eflin, who's a converted starter. David Robertson, who they got at the deadline. And Dominguez, who was coming back off Tommy John. And, um, you know, they were hopeful. And they lost, but they would say that they got a great year out of him, given what they what they knew and didn't know when the season started. So they're going to have to rebuild their bullpen. That's really not where the you know where the fun lies in the off season. We're, we'd like to talk about things like who are they going to sign, what big free agents are they going to sign. I I'm just speculating. I don't know this for sure. I don't think they do either. But I wouldn't be surprised if they got in the shortstop market. Um, it's going to be another good one with Trey Turner. Bryce Harper loves Trey Turner, by the way. Yeah, he loves him, loves him, loves him. So I so, think so the lineup him. change that we were talking because there's not many, many uh, the two possible changes. One is that they sign a free agent shortstop, move Stott to second base. Exactly. Segura gets off the payroll, uh, and then I don't know what's going to happen with Hoskins, but pretty much everything else is is set. So are you? Are, is that what could likely happen? Those two spots. Yeah, I mean, I think that that's what they'll look at. Um, you know, they'll have a decision to make on Segura. It's a $17 million option. You know, it's a lot of money for, for a second baseman. Uh, if you could use that money swear, if you could put it towards now, Gregorius's money is coming off the books this year. Canable will come off the books this year. If you can take that and, and sign a, a, a Turner or a Swanson, or if they opt out of Bogarts or a Correa and then move Stott over, maybe that's a way that you really improve yourself. Um but I think that they're going to they're gonna look to also just sort of do what they've been doing, which is make their roster deeper. You know, um, Aaron Nola was actually just talking about this uh, a little bit ago, um, you know, about how uh, uh, they're this year than they've been before. And that's why they won more games. Because when Bryce Harper gets hurt, you can dip down and get Derek Hall to come up, and he can hit you, you know, a bunch of home runs in a month and a half or two months and slug 500 and do a nice job. And when Wheeler gets hurt, you can call on Bailey Falter, and you can throw him out there every fifth day, and he can give you a competent, capable start. They haven't had that in the longest time. So uh, their roster is deeper. Their roster is uh, goes goes longer. I think that they're able to sort of fill in where they need to better. And some of that is just guys have matured through the minor leagues. Some of that is additions they've made. Edmundo Sosa is a pretty good player. Came over from the Cardinals. He helped them um, this year. Uh, Brandon Marsh is a center fielder they like a lot. They hope that he'll help them. But Matt Veerling is a guy who, who also kind of complements Marsh with what they have in center field. So their roster's deeper, and I think they're going to want to continue to make it uh, even deeper than it is. Because I think, you know, you look at the Dodgers, you look at the Braves, teams that are here every year, 
That's why they're here every year is because they've got pieces to plug in when they need it. All right, last question. I'll let you go. Um, when I uh, do the podcast next Tuesday, uh, am I talking about the Phillies in the NLDS or am I talking about um, the Eagles and the <laughs> Phillies postmortem? So I'm going to uh, – all right. So I'm going to tell you that you're going to be talking about the, whatever – look, they're, they're going to – win or lose theories based on what Wheeler does today. And I know that doesn't help you because Wheeler's pitching in a, in, in a little bit here. But I really believe that. Like, I think if you get Zach Wheeler and he goes seven innings and he shuts down the Cardinals the way he did back in July, twice in a row, two seven-inning scoreless starts against them twice in a row in July, then you're moving on because I really don't believe the Cardinals are going to beat Nola and Suarez. On the flip side of that, if, if he loses today, I, I think you're going home. So, um, you know, I really think it hinges on – Game one for the even more than the Cardinals. The Cardinals are at home. Uh, they have a little bit more margin for error. Not that there's much margin in a three-game series either way. But, I mean, you know how tough it is to win two out of three on the road uh, against a good team. But, again, I think, you know, Wheeler's the key to the whole thing for me. I agree. Uh, and I, I don't know why I just had a sudden flashback with Cliff Lee having a four-run lead and not being able to hold it in St. <laughs> Louis. But yeah. I, I appreciate it. Thanks so much for coming on live from Bush Stadium. And uh, we'll talk to you. My pleasure, man. Anytime. Thanks for having me. It's the Mike Yusinelli Podcast on the Bet Rivers Network. Folks, I'm glad you're listening to the podcast. And uh, if you if my voice sounds a little uh, hairy, it's because it is. Uh, I'm a little under the weather. Uh, for the for the first time, uh, I experienced the COVID. Yes, I have avoided it for a pretty long time. And this week, it hit me a little bit. So I'm a, a little under the weather. Uh, and I'm taking this uh, this Paxlovid uh, medication my doctor uh, uh, prescribed. It's supposed to have you recover quicker. Um, but it leaves a really bad taste in your mouth. So <laughs> I've, been, I've been suffering this week. So uh, I, hopefully I sound uh, uh, cogent enough uh, for you to understand what I'm talking about. But uh, my, I know my voice sounds a little froggy uh, at this particular point. So let's move on to our, our Philadelphia Eagles. Now, um, you know, the, the Cardinals, when we looked at this game, we thought, okay, well, that could be their first test. I don't really think it's a, that much of a test anymore. Uh, the Eagles go into this game uh, as a, another substantial favorite. I, I believe they are a solid five or six point choice in this game. Um, the Cardinals don't stop the run very well. So, I mean, that plays right into what the Eagles did last week. They ran the ball uh, very effectively. Uh, and, and their their pass defense is not that great either, uh, the Cardinals. The 103.9 rating so far against their pass defense completion percentage against their pass defense of 68.3% uh, and eight touchdown passes um, against them, uh, even with the, the win over Carolina uh, last week. Um, for the Eagles, um, listen, they're, they're, they're well-oiled. There have been past years where you look and go, you know what, they're going to have a fall. Uh, but this team doesn't look like it has that inconsistency. So I, I don't expect that. I, I, I think it's a really good play this week to play the Eagles in Arizona because the only thing that, can, that the Cardinals that can make them survive, Kyler Murray has to go off, and I just don't think he, he's capable of going off here. I, I, his receiving core, you know, there's Ertz out there. I get it. But, um, you know, he hasn't really been able to make a lot of those chunk plays that he used to make. Um, Slay's injured, though, and, uh, and Kazir White may have to play a lot at linebacker in this game 
just for Ertz. Um, Slay being injured against Hollywood Brown, that's that's an advantage to the Cardinals. Uh, so what the Cardinals have to do against this Eagle defense is is use quick passes, and uh, you know the Eagles pressure rate has been ridiculous. Now, if you pressure Kyler Murray, th- does that work in your favor or not in your favor? Because he obviously can dance out of there. But thirty percent pressure on the quarterback rate for the Eagles this year, which is a ridiculous rate. Um, so uh, I, I like the Eagles to to roll in this game in Arizona and, and keep it going. And that would make them five and zero, and the Dallas Cowboys would be the next game. So as we looked at the schedule a couple of days ago, we were thinking, could, could they actually go ten and zero? I saw where uh, ex Eagles Trey Thomas this week said he thinks they can go undefeated for their whole year. I look at it, go that sounds outlandish. But when you look at the teams they have to play, Green Bay is probably the team that you go they could lose that game, but. There are many others on that schedule. You go, boy, yeah, that looks like a loss. They'll probably lose one to Dallas. They may lose that game to Green Bay. Is it possible they could be the number one seed uh, in uh, the, the NFC with 14 wins? I, who would have expected that? But that's the way it's looking. So uh, good luck to the Eagles on, on Sunday. I'd like them to win the game. Uh, all right, let's uh, – one note for Sunday, though. Darius Slay did okay, so practice Slay, full this so week. Slay that. will play. Okay. Uh, well, yeah, and then that's practice. even that's I mean, even better better news uh, that that Slay will play. Uh, so I, I don't have any worries at all. That so uh, I, I think it's a ten point game that the the Eagles win here. Uh, okay. The the picks of the week. Now uh, I was two and two last week, and I'm twelve and eight for the year. Uh, so let's let's look at what I have here. Uh, I always like to start college. It, it doesn't matter. You know, I picked six one week. I picked four. Another, and uh, it, it's just the games that I like, really. So I only like three this week uh, if you don't want to put the Eagles in the pack, which I, I like, but I won't count the Eagles as one of my selections this week. Uh, so let's let's look at college. Texas is in Oklahoma. Is that the Red River rivalry, Darren? Red River rivalry? Is that what that is? Texas-Oklahoma, yeah. yes. The, the Red, Red River rivalry. rivalry. Okay. Now, I read this week, man. Red October. Texas you know. what started out the opening line was Texas minus one. It has surged up now to minus seven. So that gets my attention. I'm going to ride with the Longhorns, Hook'em Horns, at a minus seven piece. All right. I'm also going to use the Georgia Bulldogs. Um, Georgia came into this game against Auburn. Starting a line was minus 13 and a half. It has zoomed up. I don't know if I've ever seen a line go up this much. 16 points. It is now 29 and a half. Georgia's favorite over Auburn, which tells me one thing. This is a 50 to 13 final. Georgia romps in this game and covers the 29 and a half. So I got Texas. I'm riding with Texas. I'm riding with Georgia. All right. In pro sports, the NFL, the Miami Dolphins, all right, a lot of turmoil with the Tua situation. They do have a decent backup quarterback who can win you a game. They've got some rest now, and they're playing at the Jets. The Jets always seem to play the Dolphins very well. I don't understand why. But for my money, the Jets blow. All right. So, uh, 
I'm going to use the Dolphins minus three and a half at the Jets this weekend. Uh, I think the Dolphins uh, aren't going to miss Tua in this game uh, against a bad football team. So I'll take the Dolphins as my NFL play of the week. All right. So we'll go with that. Okay. Uh, as you know, uh, sometimes I squeeze in in these podcasts, Mike Misnelli podcast. By the way, you can get it on all your favorite podcast networks. And we're brought to us by Bet Rivers. And don't forget to download that Bet Rivers app before you make all these plays that I'm advising. I'm four ahead so far. So you're making some money if you've been playing all these and playing on the Bet Rivers app. It's a great app. You can get all the, the live action, in game action, the prop bets, uh, all those kind of things, uh, and the, the, the latest lines. Uh, but what I like to mix in sometimes in, in these shows, what I call the dreaded political commentary of the week. Now, um, I know everybody's been following the Herschel Walker saga. If you're a sports fan, you obviously uh, are very aware of Herschel Walker. Uh, I first became aware of Herschel Walker uh, way back in um, 1983. Well, I knew about him before, but I, I witnessed him live in 1983. Gee, what happened in 1983? Uh, oh, that was the Sugar Bowl. Heavily favored Georgia with Herschel Walker as the star running back uh, against the Penn State Nittany Lions. And uh, Herschel got cracked apart in that game. <laughs> yeah, let's face it. The Nittany Lions laid some wood on him, and they won the national championship with uh, Todd Blackledge as their quarterback. Uh, and I remember I was sitting in the middle of uh, Georgia fans. My tickets were somehow in the middle of Georgia fans. And so they, you know, they hire show. And then uh, they had a defensive back who later would play with the, the Eagles called Terry Hogue. And they'd give him, Terry Hogue, hunker down, you hairy dogs. And, you know, I'm sitting in the middle of that. So um, he throws a touchdown pass to Greg Garrity. It's the first touchdown in the game at Penn State. And, uh, Penn State goes on to win the game. And afterwards, the Georgia fans were really nice about it. And they meant, man, you all Northerners kicked our ass. Uh, yeah, well, thank you very much. Nice nice hanging out with you guys. But anyway, that's Herschel Walker. Now, uh, as we go, as we fast forward life here, Herschel Walker goes to the USFL and signs with the New Jersey Generals. The owner of the New Jersey Generals at the time is, uh, is Donald Trump. Um, so uh, he pulls him out of Georgia, and he signs with this renegade league, and he, he made him a, a rich man. So naturally, this fool has this inherent loyalty to Donald Trump. Like, you know, like people can't understand, like, what they, at least you really believe in his policies. He wouldn't know a, a policy if, if you, you, you spotted him the P.O.L. What he knows is that Donald Trump made him a rich man, so he's got the undying loyalty to Donald Trump. Um, so now he's running for uh, Senate in Georgia. And I, I, I like shake my head and I go, what, what has happened to us as a nation? And so he's embroiled in the controversy because his, uh, his platform uh, says he is pro-life and anti-abortion. And yet it was revealed that uh, he did pay for an abortion for one of um, – these women that he's had children with. Now, he's had children with four different women outside the marriage. I don't think the, the wife knew anything about these. So we, he hid it all these years, which makes him a man of integrity. Um, and so he sent her a card uh, with the check in it, uh, get well card, uh, after the abortion. But he is now denying 
that this happened at all. Uh, The problem with that is the woman who's claiming this is actually the mother of one of his children. So she wouldn't really have any motivation. So the story gets weirder and weirder. Uh, But but anyway, I want to play you a little sound of what I heard this week because it's kind of, you know, it's, it's reached a ridiculous, embarrassing low for, for America, I think. And and not because, like, I'm trying to hammer right-wingers here. But when you see the man talk, do you have any reaction at all on what he's saying? I mean, he sounds like a babbling idiot. And this is a man you want uh, as a senator? <laughs> I, I understand why you want him as a senator, because you want the advantage with your party. But, my God, when do you look at yourself in the mirror and say, you know, I, I can't, I can't go with this uh so anyway he one of the mistakes that his campaign is making is that they're actually putting him in front of press people who are actually going to ask him legitimate questions so uh so there was a presser a few days ago and uh the lieutenant governor of georgia has made the statement that uh the only reason that Herschel is the nominee here is because he scored a bunch of touchdowns. So let, I want you to hear the, the, the audio because I can't do it any more justice than to just play the, the, the audio here. So let, let's start. Here's Herschel Walker. Uh, listen close. Herschel, the Lieutenant Governor Jeff Duncan went on TV, I think last night, and had some very critical words of you saying that the Republican Party was in disarray. Yeah. I think his direct quote, paraphrasing it, was the only reason he's a Republican nominee is because he scored a lot of touchdowns for the University of Georgia. Now, who was it you said went did that? Jeff Duncan. Oh, what is he doing now? Lieutenant Governor. Yeah, I don't know. What is he doing now? He's a, he does work for who? Don't he go on some TV show all the time? Not, no, no. Don't he go on a TV and talk a lot? Uh, he's still the No, no. Don't he go on TV and talk a lot? Right now, you know people like that. Do I listen to? You know, people told me I couldn't play football. So do you want me to listen to someone like that? I'm here to win the seat for the Georgia people because the Georgia people need a winner. Tell us all I can't stand and I can't stand some more. <laughs> isn't that guy, isn't that a guy who's on TV a lot? Like, what? what? What is going on? Come on, people. Let's stand up. Oh, uh, all right. Well, anyway, that <laughs> that was my dreaded political commentary of the week. Darren, how do you feel about that? You got any reaction to hearing what, that? What, what, what? And you know the, he's tough to listen to. Not only because he he can't, he can't formulate more than one sentence back to back. That's what's concerning to me. I mean, he, well, listen, he, I, I feel bad for the point. He has no ability to make that point. Well, I, I feel bad for the guy because obviously he's he's football challenged and he's probably been knocked around a lot. But we're talking about the Senate here. You know, a reporter asked him, and I don't you know can't. if you can hear it, you know, with the audio that well, but the reporter asked him, they made a comment, and the reporter said, the lieutenant governor yes. made this comment about you only running for Senate because you scored a lot of touchdowns. And yes. his response was, what is what does he do now? And the reporter flabbergasted said, he's the lieutenant governor. <laughs> like, yeah, I just played the audio. I know that's my point. I was repeating it in case the audio wasn't clear, and that's says it all right there. The fact that you yes. can't formulate a question and answer or two sentences back to back. That's yeah. the uh, I mean, uh, listen. I, I I swear I'll stop picking on Herschel, uh, but I'm just uh, I, I'm apoplectic that um, e- even if you are uh, a member of his party, you got to go. Oh, come on, man. 
Don't you give him a come on, man. All right. In any event, that was podcast number seven of the Mike Missinelli podcast on Bet Rivers. And uh, so we'll be back at you with a couple next week. And the first podcast next week will obviously address whether the Phillies are moving on to the NL Division Series or whether they are out. And uh, I got to be honest with you, there are going to be a lot of disappointed people if they're out. Uh, but the way I look at it, they're not uh, complete enough uh, to win a pennant anyway. So uh, I'm, I'm okay with them making the playoffs this year. I know a lot of people were freaked out that they weren't going to make it. They at least reached that hurdle. They've got to uh, retool a little bit. I think there'll be a couple changes next year that'll make them a more complete team. But uh, then again, next week we may be talking about how they shocked the world and now all of a sudden they have become a contender. So everybody be safe and healthy and uh, watch the Phillies and the Eagles this weekend. And we'll be back next week with the Mike Misnelli podcast to update all of it. Thanks for listening, everybody. Take care. Thanks for listening to the Mike Misnelli podcast on the Bet Rivers Network.